Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Hey everybody, this is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast. If you like the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, we have a show for you. We sit down with local outdoorsmen of Arkansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma to talk all things hunting, fishing, conservation, history, and culture in the Ozark Mountains region. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts to discuss the pursuits of hunting turkeys, bears, and whitetail, as well as the science behind their conservation. Join me and my co-host Kyle Plunkett every Wednesday and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Back again. Happy Monday, everybody. If you're listening to this on Monday, I'm here with the ginger bow hunter himself who has once again drawn blood. Jacob, how you doing, man? <laughs> oh, dude, doing awesome. Doing great. It's good to be back in Tennessee, but man, Alabama was fun. That's all I can say about that. Uh, had a good yeah. t- had a good time. <laughs> yeah, so I'm glad you didn't shoot a buck though, because okay, we're gonna get into this later in the show, but I had a bad week of deer hunting and I was pretty I was pretty mad at the world. And Jacob was like, Yeah, man, I found all this buck sign uh when I scouted this afternoon. I'm gonna go in there tomorrow and I was like, dude, if you kill a buck tomorrow on your first sit in Alabama, I'm gonna sell all my hunting gear and start playing tennis or something. <laughs> yep exactly no but i wasn't i wasn't that close to getting it uh getting done with a buck but man it uh it, it happened faster than i thought it was gonna happen so it's uh it's been good so far i'll say for alabama <laughs> yeah so before we i'm about to question you on your latest deer hunting escapades oh man but before we get to that Got a little like housekeeping stuff. Uh, you probably noticed there was no buck report this past week. That is because it was Thanksgiving, 
And in order to do the buck report, we would have had to record it on like Monday or Tuesday and then it wouldn't have been recent. So we didn't do it. Uh, so yeah, that's that. Uh, another thing, the YouTube channel has been slow because uh, we had, we had some pretty bad camera issues where we basically filmed like three or four hunts with no audio. So we've been trying to figure out how to deal with that, which has really slowed down our production on YouTube. So we're like way behind, but we're getting caught up on it. We'll be dropping a video this week. So y'all be looking for that. And yeah, that's about it. So now, Jacob, uh, why don't you enlighten us on your latest uh, Tennessee deer hunting story? And uh, and then we'll, we'll get to the Alabama stuff. Yeah, so I guess it was uh, last week. <clears throat> Me and a good buddy of ours, uh, uh, Nick Adder, uh, went to new piece of public. Well, really not new. I say new to us, but you had been there and had a close encounter with a really big deer uh, the, the week prior to that. And, you know, we decided to go in there. And the, and the thing about that spot is it's extremely nasty, thick cover that even guys I know have hunted this piece of public for quite a while have even said that it's pretty much unhuntable. And that's exactly what made me want to go in there. Uh, also, because you had a good encounter with a big deer, uh, made me want to get in there that much more. Yeah. Yeah, so that, this is the place where I think we talked about that, didn't we? Mm-hmm. I where I had the, so. the, the bit, yeah, on the podcast. It, I don't know. In case you didn't hear that one, I was I hunted this area. I was the first one of us to hunt it. I pushed in there. Saw like six bucks or something like that, like six bucks and a couple does. And one of the bucks was a whopper. And he ran by me at like 15 yards, grunting his head off. It was crazy, which that will be in a video very soon. But uh, yeah, so Jacob was back in that area. So go on. Well, I mean, you know, one thing about that spot is this extremely thick, nasty cover. Uh, definitely something I thought that, you know, this time of the season, you know, a lot of guys probably aren't going to want to push into some of that stuff. So anyways, me and Nick decided to go in there. Uh, we decided to hunt a couple of different terrain features. Uh, I was taking the saddle in, uh, to try to stay, you know, quick, light on my feet, you know, find a good tree to be able to get up in. And Nick was going to hunt off the ground, uh, with, and again, we're hunting with rifles for this. So I, I take him to his spot, which was absolute hell getting to dropped him off. Uh, and then walked over to my area, uh, which is about 400 yards past him. Took us quite a while to get in there, uh, but we got in uh, before first light, got set up. I was only set up, I should have climbed higher in that tree, but just worried about what the vegetation was going to look like because it was pretty thick stuff I was I was walking through. Uh, I only got about eight to, probably eight feet up at the very most in the saddle, just so I can kind of see through some of that stuff. Uh, in, in reality, after the sun came up, I, I probably should have got up you know, 14, 15 feet, uh, at least, which I still would have had, you know, I would have had, you know, a little bit more distance between me and the ground, which would have been nice, especially what happened next. And also probably would have been able to see even better if I would have done that. But now this area, what you say, it's thick. Uh, I, I know that you were like farther up the ridge, I think than I was. And my area was, you know, lots of cedars, uh, lots of the bottom was nothing but like, some people call them hedge trees, but they're Osage orange. Uh, it's like nothing but that. And the, I mean, I it took me an hour to find a tree I could even put a saddle in to like give people an idea of like how terrible this place is to like hunt from from a tree. 
it's a, extremely difficult. Like if you have a, a climber or even a lock on in a lot of places in there, there's just no chance that you're hunting. But where you were, particularly when you had this encounter, what was the habitat like? It was a much more uh, mature trees. Uh, you know, definitely kind of got out of a secondary bottom, which down there, there are some mature trees around, you know, the waterway. But, you know, other than that, it was a bunch of, you know, real short cedars. Or should I say short enough that you're not getting a stand or anything in her saddle. Um, and, you know, I kind of started working my way up, you know, one of the, one of the ridge, one of the sides of the one of the ridges up there. And it kind of started to open up a little bit and the tree started getting a little bit bigger, which was nice to see. Uh, which gave me an opportunity to be able to get up in a tree. Because I, I was actually thinking, you know, if I could find a tree to get in, kind of like you were saying, it was pretty tough for you, I, I would get in one. But if not, just hunt off the ground and see what would happen. Uh, but thankfully, I was able to find a, a, you know, a decent tree to be able to climb up in. Just, again, didn't get high enough in the tree. Yeah. All right, what happened next? So you screwed up not getting high enough. What happened next? Yeah, so the morning was very, very calm. Uh, it was... We had a wind switch from about a it was a northwest to a southwest wind, and right at pretty much daybreak, uh, I want to say sunrise up here, it's like right around six fifteen, six twenty ish. About that time, uh, you know, it's been gray light for just a few minutes. I, I caught movement off to my left, and I, I'm sitting in just off just off the side of a of a big cedar patch, which the cedars is, is you know open underneath all of them, but. You know, in this mix of different, you know, hardwoods, uh, it, it was a bit thicker and it caught movement out in front of me. Happened to look up and, and saw a deer. Now, kind of say this as a preference to the situation. Uh, I, I was hunting with one of my rifles, it's a single shot rifle, uh, a 7 uh, mag. And <clears throat> during this hunt, I had the rifle sitting on my lap in the saddle so guys if you've seen a saddle you know you have a bridge that, that connects you to the tree to your tether uh which normally you know it's going to run from your hips all the way up to normally about chest height well i had my rifle underneath my bridge just laying across my lap at that time you know kind of finishing up getting my camera gear all set up and everything else when i saw the deer first thing i saw caught move and the second thing i saw was his left main beam and i was like second i saw that i'm like that is a deer worth tagging out on again i've already shot one deer in tennessee you get two deer total so you know I'll, two bucks I'll, two bucks my bad two bucks and you know was ready to move forward with uh tagging out on this deer uh still didn't know how big he was but i just saw that left main beam i was like that's that looks like a solid deer so was it was it like big and heavy, or was it just way out there? What what's he, the deal with this joker? He, he was at forty five yards. Didn't look at him through any kind of binos or anything. I just I just saw white on top of his head that was very tall and heavy mass, and I was like, oh, that's good enough for me. That's all I saw. Didn't think twice about it. It was the problem was it was extremely calm that morning. I mean, like stupid calm. Uh, it was just thermals that morning, and he's coming down downhill from me, coming up the side of the ridge. So the second I see him, he's at 45 yards, give or take. I, I instantly try to move the gun up and around my bridge. So, you know, get the gun up, come up around the bridge. While I'm doing that, he stops, and he's looking in my direction, but I can't see his head. I can see his body. So by the time I get the gun up, get it shouldered, he, he knows something's up. He spins around and starts working back down, you know, the trail he was walk, uh, coming up from. And at that time is when I was looking through the scope at the deer and I saw how big he was. And that's when adrenaline, all that kind of just adrenaline dump just happened. 
saw how big he was, and all I saw was this, this I'm talking stupid heavy mass, which I've seen some pretty heavy mass deer. Uh, I've actually missed the opportunity to have a really big deer uh, that just had, I mean, crazy mass, you know, baseball, you know, you know almost like baseball bats for uh, for main beans. And this deer was very similar to that, just in super tall time. Um, in that situation, with this being a single-shot rifle, I instantly go to cock the hammer back and get ready to take a shot. Well, I cock the hammer back, the deer's, you know, quartering away from me. It's so calm, right when I cock the hammer back, and this deer is on alert, he hears it, the little, the little ping of the hammer locking back, and literally blows, hops about three or four steps, and then gets behind some thick stuff I can't see him anymore. And then he just walks off. And at, at that point, I saw how big the deer was, and it was... I was like, I just missed a chance at an absolute giant on public land. The biggest deer I've ever seen, period, on public land. I, I've missed I've missed a 125, 130-inch deer with my bow before on public land. This deer was way beyond that. I'm not going to try to, you know, throw a number out there how big I think he is, but deer was ridiculously huge. Um, so, do, do you think it could have been the same one that I saw? I mean, you saw a little bit of the footage from mine, which the footage isn't the greatest, but you can see him. I mean, do you think there was any chance it might be the same one? Uh, I mean, your deer definitely had mass on it. I just don't know if the tines on your deer were as tall as this deer. Um, I mean, he uh-huh. he. I mean, he just looked like a, a giant, typical frame buck. Uh, I couldn't. I didn't really tell that much whether or not he was eight or ten point. I just know extremely tall tines. G twos were very tall. G threes were very tall. Super heavy on the on the main beams. I mean, and just carried it all the way from the base to the tip. Um, mm-hmm. Again, just a, a ridiculous deer. You know, big body. And it, right when I saw him, I'm like, oh, he's you know, I got him. But you know, just the situation. You know, sitting so low. I'm sure. You know, he was coming off my. You know, about my eleven o'clock in the saddle, ten or eleven o'clock uh, when I saw him. He definitely saw me. Probably thermals weren't working in my favor. Probably was dropping down the, the, the ridge side as well. So he probably saw something he didn't like, possibly smelt something he didn't like, and then also he, he definitely didn't hear something he liked when I you know cocked the hammer back. Uh, so that was very unfortunate and uh, definitely got me pretty fired up for the rest of the day. Saw a bunch of does after that, had a bunch of does come by me. Um, thought I had a buck chasing one of them, but whatever the deer was didn't pop out that was chasing the does. Uh but just a very eventful day, to say the least. Yeah. Heartbreaker, dude. Yeah, the buck that I saw, I would definitely say that he was probably, uh, I guess, wider than he was tall. Like, when I first saw him, I was like, big, wide buck. I wasn't like, big, tall buck, but I, I was just like, dang, he is, he's wide. He's he's big and wide. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe not the same deer. I hope it wasn't the same deer, because that means that there's two big, giant bucks kind of hanging out in that area so yeah and after the fact we just looking at the situation after the sun came up even more so because uh, i mean at that point you know you can see fine throughout the woods but the sun just hadn't come up yet and once the sun came up i started noticing and there was a rub line he was working all the way up so there's a rub line you know i'm facing kind of downhill down the side of the ridge there's a rub line working from the bottom of the ridge up to the top and he was working that trail come up super fresh rub line, really big rubs on a bunch of different trees going all the way up to the top of the ridge. And all the doe trails are side hilling. So he was cutting all these doe trails going up to the top, uh, you know, just checking to see if any, I'm guessing, just checking to see if any hot does had come by there. Uh, just happened to come by when I was least expecting it and just wasn't fully prepared. So, you know, came back to bite me in the butt, but it is what it is. And it was an awesome experience. Yeah. 
I hear that, dude. Well, that was pretty cool that you got to see that. I was I was pumped when you gave me the call and told me about it. Um, I was also hunting that morning, and we saw a doe and a spike, which would be the best that I did for about another week. But we'll get to that in a second. So let's uh, let's kind of jump forward to your your latest hunt in Alabama. So we'll kind of explain the details of the area in a minute, so you don't have to give all that because this this podcast is about like mid-season changes, mid-season scouting, and kind of how our strategies are changing up with how, you know, food sources, uh, just habitat, and deer behavior is changing up. So just kind of give us a rundown of the hunt, and we'll get to, like, the logistics of it later. Yeah, so this past weekend, and we're recording this on Sunday. This is dropping tomorrow, Monday, uh, the 26th. So this past week i was down in alabama for thanksgiving came down on tuesday evening um was supposed to go hunt with you on wednesday morning <laughs> and uh that didn't work man out. oh my goodness what you even woke up and read my text message you know like i think i said like man we got a frost this morning it's gonna be awesome and i it, you read it yeah. and went back to sleep yeah. oh my gosh dude left me hanging i was like this this ginger fell asleep. Oh my god! And I texted you everything. I was like, "You better not be asleep." Yeah. Didn't hear back from you until like nine thirty. I was uh, like, "Dude, dude, I'm telling you, that was uh, I think I think I was on the road for nine or ten hours that day. It was because I had to go out to East Tennessee. It was horrible. The day before, I mean. So I'm not gonna blame that on. I was just lazy that morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you you grabbing at those excuses. But you know, so didn't do anything that day. Or should I say, I went out that night. Or was it that night? Wednesday. I can't even remember. Yeah. Yeah, so we went out Wednesday evening. Um, just kind of doing a little quick sit with uh, my younger brother and my sister. Kind of split up, let them go one place. I was going to check a couple different places. Uh, checked one place that was right off the road that I kind of wanted to look at before. Just a bunch of real short pines and a little bit of just a little hardwood kind of drainage right there I wanted to check. Went there, didn't find anything that really got me too excited about setting up there backed out and decided to go to a spot i've turkey hunted i've never deer hunted it and i just wanted to check it out and all it is is a bunch of you know slut cut pines nothing special about it and i told myself last year while hunting you know this management area and then other places around there that i was noticing a pattern of finding more deer in and around the heavy cover of the slut cut pines like old slut cut pines you know pines that they had slut cut probably five six years ago that's now grown up you know i've seen a lot more deer in those areas last year and the previous year so decided to go try that um went into one spot hiked in and on on the trail in was walking a little gas line or something and was not seeing absolutely any sign i was like dumbfounded no tracks droppings nothing and hiked in probably four or five hundred yards and finally got to this one point where there's a you know there's a you know puddle in the uh in the gas line look down and there's a ton of fresh tracks i mean just an absolute ton of fresh tracks and they're all going from east to west uh and it was a uh, northwest wind so i'm like you know what i'm just gonna follow these tracks i haven't seen anything else this is maybe worth sitting over it was already like i think it was like 2 already uh so i was like you know i want to get set up relatively soon so I followed the tracks in. They led. They kind of entered and led into the timber where I didn't see. There was a little uh, like logging road right there, old logging road. 
I hit it, made it, you know, 30, 40 yards in, looked back behind me, and there was a heavy rub right there uh, around the side of this log grove. So I'm like, you know what? This is probably something worth trying to sit out. Uh, these select cut pines, again, had probably been cut, I'd say, almost four or five years ago. You know, there's a lot of big saplings growing up, uh, all different types and different height vegetation growing throughout. But I got on top of this ridge, kind of opened up a little bit where I could see, you know, 30, 40 yards, decided to climb up a tree. While I was climbing up the tree, saw another rub behind me and then saw a very fresh, very large scrape out in front of my, uh, the tree I was climbing. So I get up, get in the saddle, and everything gets situated. By the time I got situated, it was mm, 3.30, I think, 3.15, 3.30. And uh, by 3.45, had deer running to me, <laughs> which uh, got my heart pounding. So <laughs> You thought you thought old sad daddy was behind her. <laughs> Man, I was like that or a dog's chasing him or something. But had, I could, Probably more likely a dog where we were. <laughs> yeah, but like, you know... It was, again, it was really calm. There was a very, very light wind. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, pretty much just thermals. And, you know, it, it's amazing. You know, a lot of times you're hunting pines. You really, it's pretty quiet walking through there. But there were so many dry leaves and everything just from the saplings. You could hear these deer running. And the second that happened, threw the camera on, got the bow out, got situated. And again, you know, I'm, I'm looking to take, you know, any, any, you know, good sized doe or, or a good buck. And, uh, two does run out. They kind of stop up, you know, about 45 yards from me. I've already had some shooting lanes already, you know, kind of situated. And, uh, you know, decided I was going to try to shoot the bigger of the two does. Problem was, I did not have my range finder because somebody, maybe the host of this podcast, might have had my range finder. Uh, so I was over there guess get I was guesstimating ranges. Um, knew knew of at least one tree that I was almost hundred percent sure was twenty five yards, and I decided that I was not going to shoot past that. Just since I didn't have a range finder, I wanted to make sure it was close enough that you know if I if I was off by five yards or so, you know the deer is still going to get shot and you know be able be able to go down probably relatively quickly. Well. They come out, they, they kind of feed out in front of me, and I started noticing on what they were feeding on in this slut-cut timber uh, in these pines, and I started seeing that same vegetation kind of everywhere. And I was wondering, I had not seen that vegetation, which I can't tell you what it was. Again, Andrew, I'm not you. But they were feeding on a certain vegetation, <laughs> and that's all they were targeting uh, in this stuff. So they kind of fed outside of range. I mean, then, you know, never gave me a shot. Closest they might have got was maybe 30 yards. And again, I was, you know, not, not necessarily... Uh, too excited about shooting one of them uh just because i saw the buck sign it's like you know maybe a buck's gonna run in here but they fed up behind me man they did not want to leave me i mean they had they were within 100 yards of me for over an hour probably um and then right at dusk about 30 minutes before dusk i uh i grunted and had a deer come up behind me uh which turns out was another big doe and uh, she fed out and i literally had to sit in the saddle because uh, i was going to come back to this spot the following day I sat in the saddle, I think, 15 to 20 minutes past dark. Like, not legal, like, beyond past shooting light, legal shooting light, but, like, past dark uh, to wait for this doe to finally leave me because I didn't want to blow her out of there. Uh, and finally got down, and that freaking full moon was so bright, man. It looked like someone was out there with, like, a spotlight. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, yeah. it was like you didn't even need a headlamp coming out of the tree. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't use a headlamp that night or like the next morning that I hunted, I walked in without a headlamp. That's how bright it was. Yeah. But that definitely set, what kind of happened was that definitely set the mood for what I was looking for, kind of pattern 
you know, where to find some of these deer. Cause my brothers had been out hunting out there for, I think three or four hunts. They had not even seen a single deer and they were hunting some areas that you and me had hunted in the past that, you know, just different terrain mm-hmm. types, you know, a little more open stuff. So I, I kind of had the idea that maybe these select cut pines was kind of, kind of the ticket, the kind of the key. Uh, and that's why I targeted the, the following day. Me and, uh, me and Thomas went in there for the, well, I guess it's the second gun hunt out there. The first check-in hunt. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. 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 It's the only check-in. A lot of, most Alabama WMAs now are doing like, uh, most of the gun days are buck only. And then you'll have like a couple gun days that are buck or doe. And for those doe, like quote unquote doe days, you have to check in. And that was a, a doe day this weekend. Yeah. So kind of break that down guys, you know, you know, if we have listeners, I know like Tennessee is totally different, and I'm, I'm sure maybe Mississippi and Georgia is different as well. But Alabama's kind of weird about it. You know, we have a very, very long gun season in Alabama. It goes from November 17th to February the 10th. Um, you know, with such a long gun season, you think you'd be able to go hunt. You know, a lot of your management areas quite a lot with a rifle. World in doubt, you you really don't. You really can't. They have very limited gun hunts on most of the management areas, where you might only get you know, five or six gun hunts a, a year, which is, you know, five or six weekends. Uh, so that's kind of, that's kind of a letdown. That's just one reason why, yeah. that's one reason why, you know, you and me, you know, hunted so much with our bows back in Alabama. It's just because if you just gun hunted on, on you know, management areas, you're only going to get a couple hunts in the whole year. That's it. Uh, so that's why you really got to take a bow. Yeah. Now, Tennessee, yeah, I mean, you, you could do it every weekend, but you'd have to travel quite a bit. Yeah. Cause I, they're staggered. Yep. Um, so that there's that. Now, if you hunt national forests, Which, it doesn't matter. You can hunt, yeah. you know, rifle. I was about to say. Uh-oh. Yeah, national forest is different. You can hunt rifle anytime on national forest. And, you know, like I used to gripe a lot about the gun days on the WMA thing. But honestly, dude, like the, the deer hunting quality has, has gotten a lot better, like in my lifetime, um, probably from – from that regulation, which again, I'm not like the happiest about it. It's like, yeah, I'd love to be able to go out there every weekend and shoot a doe with my rifle. But at the same time, the trade-off of it is, and you've seen this too, um, especially with the antler restrictions that some of these places have put on the, the hunting quality has gone way up, which, you know, it's, it's just a give and take thing. It's like whatever you want to put value on, but I definitely feel like it's gotten a lot better since, you know, they've gotten a little bit more strict with it. And, you know, if you couldn't bow hunt, you know, it'd be a different thing. But, you know, I can I can still bow hunt all year and I can gun hunt, you know, either pr- pretty much every other weekend during, during the uh, rifle season. And a lot of these management areas put on their, their gun hunts like right around the rut. Uh, which is nice. So I don't know. Like I, I could complain about it, but I, I don't know. I don't have that big of an issue with it anymore. Now that I've kind of seen like the the effects of it, I find it hard to complain about. Yeah, you have a lot of locals that kind of you know complain about because you know they're just they're just trying to go out there trying to fill it freezer and maybe get a good deer and they just want to go and hunt. They don't really care about putting the time because I mean bow hunting public lands you know much more difficult than going out there with a firearm. Um, just because, you know, the whole distance issue, except when you hunt in places like I'm looking for where it doesn't matter what the heck you're hunting because <laughs> yeah. your shot's going to be within 40 yards. Um, yeah. 
but you know, also another thing about the whole like women in the gun hunts, I definitely think there's a much older age class of deer out there, you know, kind of showing about you know the, both the deer that you know both me and my brother were able to harvest. I mean, I was impressed, dude, on yeah on, on the age class, oh, yeah. especially especially of his doe. Uh, I mean, that was that was ridiculous. My brother, uh, I guess it was Friday morning, so we, we went out. Decided to go to a spot I had never been to before, which, you know, pretty much, guys, I do a whole bunch. You know, you have a lot of guys that's they're all about, you know, scouting pretty heavily in the offseason, which I'm all about that when you have time for it. But, again, just because of work and everything, I don't have a whole bunch of time to be able to do that, especially in the, in the times you need to be out there, late February, going into March, uh, when you're not necessarily turkey hunting. Um, so I do a lot of blind sits. I do a lot of spots. I look on the map. I kind of get a feel for – what habitat type I'm really finding these deer in, and then I'm, that's what I'm going in trying to execute. And I've had great success with it so far this year. I mean, pretty much, mm-hmm. yeah. Every, yeah. Every deer I've killed this year has been on a blind set. Every one of them, uh, and that's now up to four. Um, again, not saying that that's necessarily the right way to do it. You know, do whatever makes you you know makes you feel more confident in what you're doing. But I have a lot of confidence in what I'm looking for on a map to be able to go and find deer and be able to find also the chance to find an older age class buck as well. Oh, which again, I, I, yeah. I showed that if I could just, you know, make a shot, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we wouldn't have this conversation. Yeah. So you had those encounters with the does and everything. And you and your brother on Friday decided to go into kind of a similar habitat type, not in the same spot, but you know, in the same kind of general area, same kind of, you know, thin pines, thick area that you'd been hunting before. Uh, and you guys got set up that morning, and you had a pretty good morning, right? Yeah. And again, we're focusing on my whole game plan now for Alabama is focusing on I'm talking ridiculously thick slut cut pines, guys. Again, older slut cut pines, where when you're on the ground, especially in the morning, I mean, it's kind of it feels tre- you know treacherous walking through there in the morning just because you're not seeing you, you can't see past five yards. Um, just with your headlamp and everything, just because of how thick the vegetation is. But I'm, I'm focusing on places, guys, and my whole game plan was focusing on places that has a very dense cover at that you know ground level up to five, eight feet tall. But when you get high enough in a tree, you can see down through that stuff. It just makes it literally almost impossible to hunt off the ground. You cannot hunt off the ground in these places at all. You're not going to see anything. You're not even going to hear anything just because of how, how quiet some of these pine thickets can be. And that's what we did. So we went in there. Brother took his climber. I took the uh, the saddle with the sound approach steps. Went in ultralight. Uh, he, he sat one spot I picked on the map, which was a kind of a, a secondary saddle below a big ridge. Uh, I sat a, another kind of saddle slash bench that was just a couple hundred yards from him. And we got up in our sit, got up in our spots, and you know climbed up. Uh, he shot his deer at six forty five, I believe, in the morning. And the second he shot, you know, he was so close to me. I was I was jacked up. On the uh, camera, I, I was talking. I'm like, man, he probably just shot a big deer, um, big buck. Yeah, he killed a he killed a good eight point <laughs> out there last year. So I'm thinking, you know, he killed a really good deer. There's a bunch of bucks on while we were going in. A lot of deer sign. And again, this off the wall place where I, you know, it has this vegetation, which I don't know what it is, but the deer are feeding on it. Acorn crop was not good in this area this year. That's very important. Horrible. I mean, it was horrible this year. Yeah. So that's very important. That's one reason why I'm focusing on these ponds, guys. And just trying to find that hot food source, kind of like, you know, Andrew talked about a little earlier, you know, we'll find out what these deer are feeding on at this time of the year. 
and that's kind of what we did. So Thomas shot his deer at you know six forty-five ish. Uh, we sat until uh, I should I say I sat until ten at nine forty-five nine fifty. Uh, hadn't seen anything up to that point. Heard something up behind me. Looked behind me and had a doe and a fawn uh, coming up from behind me. And I was hunting guys with a pistol. Uh, I've been wanting to take a, a a deer with my pistol for about two years now. I've been trying to do it, but really never put in enough time or effort to try to make that happen. And this hunt was able to make it happen. I was hunting with a, a Glock Mall 20 10 millimeter pistol. About, it's a four inch and four and a quarter inch barrel. Uh, shooting a Buffalo bore, uh, 220 grain, hard cast, flat nose bullet at about 1,200 feet per second. Uh, just a really nasty round, guys. And had the doe pop out. Uh, of, of course, at the time, which we'll say for a later time, didn't have my camera up with me. Funny story. Uh, I actually had the camera on the ground. <laughs> and uh, anyways, doe popped out five yards right next to me. Was able to make a great shot on her. Uh, she ran out and... Uh, lost sight of her at about 70 yards, and when we went down tracker, she had died just five, five, ten yards from where I last saw her. Made about 80 yards from the tree. Uh, anyway, Heck yeah, yeah. So we had a heavy pack out. Uh, once we got yeah. once we got the deer out, get them all taken back, checked in. Uh, they aged Thomas's de- or Thomas's doe, uh, bo- or the game warden slash biologist, uh, whatever his position would be. Uh, He's a biologist. Biologist. Um, aged his doe at six and a half plus. So he's like, the deer could be six and a half. She could be eight years old. Just depends. And that deer, she looked like a freaking donkey. And I, 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 I just, <laughs> she's one of them swamp donks, man. Dude, I'm ug- <laughs> biggest, ugliest doe I've seen in a long time. But I felt bad for Thomas. He, he freaking drug that deer up. This, I'm talking almost vertical, uh, mountain, you know, hillside. And he got about halfway up before, I was able to get down and get to him. And the funny thing is I went to go check on him in his spot. I got over there, and he wasn't in the stand. I was like, "What? The, where the heck is he at? And I started seeing blood. I'm like, oh, dude, okay. So I started following the blood trail. And the blood trail was going away from where, you know, he said he had shot the deer. I started following him. I'm like, dude, he's already dragging his deer back. And I get I get over the ridge top, look down, I hear something. I look on the other hillside, dude, and I see a white belly going up the hill. And he's dragging this 115, 120-pound-plus deer up the hillside, and Thomas probably only weighs 160 pounds, maybe. So uh, had to go over there and help him out. <laughs> but uh, and then my deer, uh, my deer aged out at four and a half, uh, which was actually impressive because I thought she was younger than that, but she was a really big body deer as well. Um, so just super impressed, man. Had a great time. Uh, first time going in there and having success. That's what it's all about. Yeah, dude, that's awesome, man. My uh, my deer hunting has not been that exciting. Yeah, dude. Let's uh let's jump into the curse of Andrew Maxwell. Okay, should we? Say? I've gotten I've gotten worse at deer hunting. Yeah, guys. So you know, a couple I guess a couple weeks ago when he was up here, I played a song. Uh, I don't necessarily listen to Migos, but they have a song called "Walk It Walk It Like You Talk It" or whatever. And I played it because I was like, "This is Andrew's. This is gonna be Andrew's theme song." You know, he hasn't had the greatest year so far. You know, he needs to walk it like he talks it, and. uh it has not happened yet. <laughs> it's because you played that, that that stupid song. It cursed me because it's such a bad song. Dude, I'm about to play it like right now. <laughs> no, you're not. Uh-uh. Uh. Dude, no. Okay, so uh, the most exciting... Well, okay, that's not fair. So We, we interviewed Jeff Homan for our last episode. Jeff's a killer. Uh, two episodes ago. Not our last episode. Two episodes ago. Jeff's a killer. He, uh, he's killed a lot of really nice bucks on some super, super high-pressure public land. 
that I have hunted as well, so I know how bad it is. Um, but he, he manages to eke it out, man. He kills bucks. He killed another good buck uh, last week. And I actually brought Jeff on my SOA hunt, and Jeff ended up taking a really nice doe. So Jeff is a stone-cold killer, so that was pretty exciting. And that was back when my deer season was still going like pretty decently. Like This last week and a half has been brutal. But uh, so, let's see. The day that you slept in on me, I don't know if I saw a deer. I found a lot of buck sign, though. I found a bunch of buck sign. So I was, while you were focusing on the planted pines, which this was kind of like a little bit, I guess, part of our strategy, is we were kind of splitting up and going to different, just different uh, habitat types, different terrain types, and seeing who got on deer. And while you went to thick planted pines, I went into like hardwood fingers that run up into cutovers. And going into areas like that, I actually did find a lot of deer sign and a lot of buck sign, but it just never worked out. I never saw a deer while I was hunting. And uh, that trend pretty much continued all week. I struggled all week. Uh, never saw a deer from the stand until the last afternoon that I hunted. Uh, and that was when I saw three does and uh they were skylined or no two of them were skylined so i wasn't going to shoot and send a bullet way off in the middle of nowhere uh, and then the last one it was getting dark it was still legal light but i have a crappy scope which guys spend uh spend money on good glass because if not it'll cost you that's the second time in this particular spot too yep. that a crappy scope has cost me a deer because uh, for some reason dude that spot I've noticed every I've hunted I've hunted there probably six or seven times over the last two years and I've seen deer every single time and I've never seen a deer before like four oh five in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So you don't I'm not seeing a deer until you know like like thirty to forty minutes before sundown. So you know that bad scope just kind of cheap glass you can't really you don't get good light transmission. No, nah, dude. So the next time we have a good gun hunt, I'll let you take the uh, old Howa 6.5 with that uh, Vortex HS- HST scope, dude. Dialed into what is it, like 260 yards to that hillside. Yeah, I'll take it. And uh, uh, yeah, actually, the the farthest shot is like 270. Yeah, just <laughs> di- yeah, dialing for 260 and just sit there on the hillside and just one comes out, get her, get them to stop and just dude squeeze one off. It'll it'll smack it. So that won't be a problem. Uh, I'm down. I'm I'm gonna take you up on that. <laughs> I'll buy you a box of ammo. Oh god, that, that might. That yeah, might, dude. It's expensive. It's uh, more expensive than beer. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, the morning that you killed your doe, I had uh, JT, who has been on some of our YouTube videos, and he was on the a podcast with us one time, and Zach Eccles, who was also on a podcast with us and on some of our YouTube videos. Uh, Two of our hunting buddies. And uh, JT also had his cousin Doss there. And we all kind of hunted this area that I just mentioned with like the hardwood fingers running through the cutovers. And uh, Zach killed a doe. And me, JT, and Doss didn't see anything. Uh, so we get out there. And this goes, this kind of goes back to trying to figure out where the deer are. Because I was really happy that Zach had shot a doe just so we could open her stomach up and see what she had been eating. So, you know, I mean, obviously everyone gets super keyed in on acorns. or like, find the feed tree, find the feed tree. And 
this is something that me and you had talked about, Jacob, where it was like, yeah, there's there's hardly any acorns here, but if you find the good, if you find the one tree dropping acorns, then you'll be in the money spot. And uh, I don't know how true that is, to be honest with you. I mean, it, it. I'm sure that it is true to an extent. Like, if you find a good tree that's dropping, you'll be in a, a really nice spot to, you know, at least kill a doe. But you got to think, like, if a, if a tree drops all of its acorns, how long will that tree, like, be a good feed tree? Like, what, two weeks at the most? And uh, this area, you know, I'd been all over it, hadn't found any any acorns at all. And really searching for any more acorns which is kind of futile and thankfully Zach shot that down we got to open her up and she did not have a single acorn in her belly it was all green stuff yep. from either food plots you know natural browse in the cutovers eating on gas lines or power lines you know like these natural openings where there's you know these grasses and forbs and all kinds of other browse they can eat on like woody browse and uh yeah she had zero acorns in her in her stomach at all so that totally changed uh, like my outlook on what I was going for. Plus, you know, uh, shortly after we looked at that doe, I found out what you had seen and that just confirmed it in my head. I was like, okay, hardwoods are not the place to be right now. Yeah, no. And I mean, to be honest, I've never really had great success, at least on this one property hunting, uh, a lot, a lot of hardwoods. Now, if you have a lot of mixed, you know, pines and hardwoods where they kind of intermingle and they kind of, you know, it's kind of, you know, just mixed in, to me, I've, I've had pretty good success finding deer there. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, some of those real, just real nasty draws you, you can find. But, you know, a lot of those other places, just you see a lot of sun, but it's got to be a lot of, this, you know, stuff that's happening after after legal shooting light. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's why I go out seeing with the does. I mean, Thomas saw, I think he saw seven deer that morning after he shot his doe. Um, all of them. Uh, there was three other really large does that, which were probably close to the same age, you know, talking about age class deer, you know, be able to get a six and a half year old doe plus, you know, you know, she might've been older than that, you know, off a piece of property like this is, is, is phenomenal and have other deer with her that are close to that probably same age group. That's, that's, that's awesome. But you know, all the deer he was seeing was feeding on, and he said the same thing. They were feeding on some little green plant, and we found it while we were out there. I should have took a picture of it because we were dragging her out, and she, he's like, dude, this is exactly what they were all feeding on. And it, it's, well, Okay, what did it look like? Because uh, I never saw it. It's um, real it, – it's it's pretty short from all – Is it a wood? Is it a woody plant? No, is no, no. Is it a no, viney plant? No, no, it, it's uh, – it's – it looks like kind of like a native grass. It's got like it's got little small oval leaves on it. it it's not privet, but oh man, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to try to go out there and find some again and kind of show you what it looks like. But we found some while we were dragging out because I was asking him, like, you know, what were they doing? He's like, they were just eating. Like that's all they were doing. They were coming by and just eating, and they fed around him. Like he had the deer that came around him even after he shot the doe, you know, at like twenty five yards. You know, all the other doe, all the other deer around just, just sat there and fed. Like, they didn't, they didn't even run off, um, which is just <laughs> crazy. I mean, he said, he's like, You're like, what was that? No, he, he he's like, dude, he's like, if we could have shot more than one doe a day, I, I literally could have shot all, like, the other three does that were with her. They just sat there and, like, didn't do anything while she, like, ran off and died, like, 15 yards from them. Um, but he said they were just all feeding on the same plant. So, it, it, it shows that whatever that plant is, you got to find that crap, dude. And from what we've been mm-hmm. seeing, it, it's growing in around a lot of those select cut pines. So that is definitely the pattern that I'm focusing on right now. Because, again, you know, it's getting to that time in central Alabama that you know, if you can find 
you know, big doe group, man, you're going to find some bucks coming and cruising through there. So it's, it's only a matter of time. Yeah, no, no joke. So kind of transitioning off of like our season updates, which we took absolutely forever to say. Um, but, okay, let's get into like the changes that we're seeing. There's a lot of stuff going on in the deer woods right now for the deep south. Uh, for like a lot of our listenership, the rut hasn't really started yet. There's some places where the rut has started, um, but for most of us, myself included, we haven't got a rut in our main areas yet. We're still, you know, at the closest a few weeks out and at the farthest, you know, a few months out still. So let's talk about some mid-season changes going on. Uh, Like using myself as an example, I was doing pretty good early season. I was constantly on deer. I was seeing deer pretty much every single hunt. I was on bucks. And then we're kind of getting into the middle of my season and I've, I've been struggling pretty bad. So let's kind of, let's kind of skim over that a little bit. Yeah. So I'll go first. I think one thing that's really helped me this, this year, which by far, you know, this is the best year I've had, you know, going so far and we still have, you know, a lot of deer season left. And the one thing I think that's really helped me is being adaptive to doing stuff different that I've never done before. Especially I think what's really helped me is, you know, hunting a new place I've never hunted before, a new state that I've never hunted before, and kind of taking what I've learned here and it kind of applying it to other places, uh, especially when it comes to like hunting thicker cover. And then also just, you know, doing a lot of blind sits. And if it's not working for me, I'm not finding the sign there. Forget about it. Go hunt something different until you find the deer. And that's what I've been doing. That's what I've been kind of finding the deer doing is, again, just staying mobile, covering a lot of ground. And once you find a, a, a pattern, which a lot of times – you know, patterns this time of year really aren't lasting very long. Uh, it, it, again, it's pretty much based on food source and habitat uh, c- habitat cover and security cover. Uh, you know, if there's a lot of guys going to a lot of thick crap, the deer are going to get pushed out to a new spot. But, you know, one thing I've been noticing right now, you know, any place you're finding, especially I'm talking Tennessee right now, you know, open timber, open hardwoods, you're finding a lot of hunting pressure. You're finding deer sign on acorns still because Tennessee had a pretty good acorn crop for some of the state, I should say, at least Middle Tennessee. But you're finding a lot of hunting pressure there. You're finding a lot of deer sign, but a lot of it, I think, is nocturnal or, no, or just at you know after legal shooting time. Um, and the deer are just staging in a lot thicker cover. And that's what I started doing. I started moving to very, very dense cover, and I started seeing a lot more movement throughout the day, not just at you know you know very early in the morning, very you know late in the afternoon, evening times. Um, and I kind of took that to Alabama and did the same thing. You know, you, normally you and me, when we're down there on that gun hunt, we're hunting more open areas, uh, you know, some of the gas lines, pipelines, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. power lines. You know, you're kind of focusing on you know, some of the open timber around some of that thick stuff. But I took that tactics from up here, hunting thick, nasty cover down there, and it, it paid off. Saw deer on every sit, or should I say both sits, uh, you know, first time being down there and be able to kill a deer on my, on my second second hunt down in Alabama, which was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's what's helped me is just, you know, take what I've learned up here and kind of apply it to Alabama. And I think it's like that everywhere. I mean, again, this time of year, you know, gun seasons are opening up if they've not already opened up. And, you know, you have a lot more hunters in the woods. So naturally the deer are going to go to more secure cover, which is normally going to be thicker, nastier crap that a lot of guys are going to look at like, oh, forget that crap. I'm going to this hardwood bottom right here. I'm going to hunt this. And there's a lot of deer sign down there, but it's not, you know, during legal shooting time, should I say. 
So that that's one thing I've done that's really I think paid off for me so far this year. It's just trying to stay adaptive and then also just have confidence. I mean, I think it's one of those things that once you have some success, you get more confidence in what you're doing and you have faith in what you're doing and you're not kind of like second guessing yourself. Because last few years, you know, I do something and then I start second guessing like, oh, maybe I should, maybe I should go to this next spot. Maybe I should do this and that. Where now I'm like, if I find something. I'm going in with the, the mentality, I'm killing a deer. I'm not going in to see a deer. I'm going in to kill a deer, and it's paid mm-hmm. off for me so far. I think that's I think that's honestly probably the determining factor between my season and your season, where you know going into the season, there was so much preparation. There was so much uh, like I had I had a very clear idea of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to accomplish and what I was looking for. And early in the season, I was doing it. And like you were saying, like how you've been doing lately, I was seeing deer on every sit. I was seeing bucks. I was super confident in my setups. And, you know, I was being extremely productive with all of my sits. And then here lately, I've kind of I've kind of fallen out of that. Um, and, and stuff has changed. And I don't know, I guess I just didn't handle it well or something. And I, I basically like have screwed up some sits and I started second guessing stuff. I'm like, Oh, well maybe this is where they'll be or no, they'll be over here. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Uh, and I'm like ruminating on like that failure rather than thinking about what I should do next. And I did that. I think that's cost me dearly in these last two weeks. Uh, like I, I've I, honestly, I've just wasted a bunch of time. I think where I've been, uh, I've just basically confused myself and overanalyzed and haven't haven't put myself in the position I needed to be in. And I've I just I've been lacking confidence most of all. And I, I honestly that's probably my biggest issue. So late this week, instead of continuing to grind it and hunt, I just took two days off, spent it with Tiffany, spent it with our families. And just kind of didn't think about hunting until like this afternoon, basically, and kind of hit the reset button. And I'm going in fresh this week uh, to kind of restart and see what I can do. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. I mean, that's definitely the one determining factor that I've changed this year because, you know, past years I had struggled so bad just because this kind of jumped around in, in hunting a spot that looked good but didn't give me, like, right now I have the confidence when I go into a spot, I know what I'm looking for which is kind of hard to explain. You know, I'm looking for a lot of things. I'm, I'm looking for the right t- habitat, first off, that matches up with the deer sign. And a lot of times, especially like on that blind set with that big deer, I was hunting more kind of terrain than the actual deer sign. Because, I mean, I saw some walking in, but, you know, when you're walking in the dark, you, you mean, you can't see, you know, droppings. You, yeah. you can't really see trails all that well unless they're worn down to the dirt. I mean, you, you're not really going to be seeing rubs or anything unless you're hardcore looking. And then you're just wasting your time. But it's just like going to spots and kind of looking at train features, looking at different edges and stuff to be able to have success and go in and make it happen and just have the confidence that you know what you're looking for and you're going to be able to go in there and find deer. And that's kind of my thing now is, you know, last few years I'd go hunt a spot just because it looked good on a map. But other than that, nothing else really told me anything different. Now I'm looking at a spot, I'm analyzing why do I think that looks good and kind of going into it and really kind of be kind of more picky going in there and looking mm-hmm. for the right amount of sign that looks more like daylight movement. Because there's a lot of times you can find a lot of deer sign, especially I've noticed on public land, you find a lot of deer sign, but you got to think, was it made at, you know, was it made at 3 o'clock in the morning or was that made at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? 
because yeah. that that's huge. Yeah. Like you know, finding scrapes. You know, scrapes are awesome, but a lot of times the scrapes, dude, at least in my opinion, are made at night unless they're in super 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 dense cover if it's in super dense cover where the deer has a lot of cover it's in and around bedding areas maybe it's during daylight but if it's in any kind of open areas gas lines pipelines you know any kind of field edge anything like that is not happening during the daylight mm-hmm. uh, you know a lot of feed sign if you're finding a really hot tree and it's in wide open timber or anything like that it's not happening during daylight hours especially on high pressure public land you know yeah. you have to find that stuff in thick nasty cover that I li- again not necessarily a lot of people overlook it, but a lot of people just don't want to hunt it. They're like, yeah, they're, exactly. Because that's me. The last few years, I'm like, you know, the deer are in there, but do I really want to go in there and try to find them? And I, last few years, I was like, no, nah, screw it. And this year, I'm like, okay, I'm going in there, and that's how I've been freaking killing deer so far. Yeah, I mean, dude, that's exactly what I've seen because I've been experimenting with scrapes. I love scrapes, not necessarily to hunt over, but just to like do buck inventory and you know and to hunt over at the right times but i've done a ton of camera work on scrapes these last few years and just like you said i'll make a mock scrape or i'll find just a natural scrape and like a hardwood bottom like a nice travel corridor or just like a nice place to for them to feed because there's a lot of uh, acorns there and i'll get you know I'll get good bucks on camera, and usually they're after dark by a few hours. You know, it gets dark around 5 o'clock. I'll get bucks at, like, 8 o'clock or so. And then, you know, over these last two seasons, I've found what I would call a, quote-unquote, community scrape uh, uptight to a bedding area, and those are what I really look for. And, uh, like, for instance, the one I found this past week is, you know, it's got several licking branches, which I think I've got an article on our website about this on the southernoutdoorsman.com about like using scrapes in the south or whatever and these community scrapes you know that you found one when it's up close to cover um like good bedding cover not just like you know i don't know not just your average thicket but something that is really conducive to bedding as in like the terrain sets up well to bedding the the hunting pressure you know might kind of push them into that area just like a number of things contribute to that being good bedding because a lot of these areas have like a bunch of cutovers in them and the deer aren't bedding in every single cutover or at least a lot of deer aren't bedding in every cutover and uh, you'll find these scrapes they'll be you know nice and big you know on the ground you know you'll have a big area pawed out and you'll usually have a bunch of different licking branches so like five or six licking branches uh, where you know you might have a big overhanging limb or like a bushy tree, and they've just tore up the whole thing. Uh, so I found one of those, and I found you know several of them last year, and had cameras on them, and I I hardly ever even got a nighttime picture on those. Pretty much every single buck picture I got on those scrapes was during the daytime. Now the catch to that is you know getting in there clean, hunting it with the right wind and everything, because oftentimes those scrapes are in areas that are you know either hard to access because the deer will see you or hard to access because they're like in a bowl or in a bottom or something where the wind swirls really bad. But that's definitely something that was an extremely long winded way of saying that I've noticed what, what you just mentioned where you're not seeing that daylight activity until you get into a spot that basically puts you at a big disadvantage. Yeah. And one thing I'm, I'm taking more and more, um, preference to is rub lines uh, especially and that's what Jeff Holman talked about and that's one thing that I noticed especially with that big deer up here in Tennessee 
is in that area, there is a history of Roblons. You can see Roblons that probably are a year, two years old that are on the side of this ridge going up to this certain topographical feature, which I'm not going to name what it is, but they're going up there, <laughs> okay? And this buck had a, I mean, a, dis- I mean, a Roblon that was absolutely destroyed. I mean, he had shredded trees that were, you know, the size around as my calf, okay? Which I got big calves, by the way, guys. So... <laughs> And there was just multiple rubs. It wasn't just him. There was other rubs up and around that area that were extremely fresh. And that what that's telling me is that there's bucks coming through there, probably you know throughout you know early morning, late in the evenings, kind of working that area. And they're in that area for some reason. They're they're moving through there. You know, definitely telling me they're moving through there checking does. And again, if you can time it right, especially during the rut and everything, you can catch them during daylight hours. Scrapes though, especially during the during the you know, the rut and everything are very hit or miss. You know, when the rut's in full swing, most of the time your scrapes get kind of cold because the deer are out chasing does, they're out pushing does, they're not focusing on the scrapes. Where, you know, pre-rut, scrapes are pretty hot, then post-rut, scrapes are pretty hot too. Check and see if there's any other hot does in the area. Um, but again, that's the one thing I think that's going to be kind of relatable about this podcast and this season with, you know, a lot of our listeners is, you know, showing, you know, kind of two ends of the spectrum. You know, my success, which is crazy again haven't had a year like this before previously and having you where normally you're the better you, you normally have a lot better success than i do but you're struggling and just be kind of relate on what we're both doing and maybe what's working for someone what's and what's not working for the other one and i can say i think that i think what's probably happened to you is you again you had such a, a, a hot start to the season which i had a pretty good season too uh just had a different mishaps with with uh you know archery uh, archery season but i think what happened to you just me looking at the and kind of analyzing the situation i think you got kind of set in your way very quickly on you know what you were kind of looking for and you haven't adapted it a whole bunch since then uh yeah and, and kind of changed on what you were looking for because again you know you're trying to you were finding those bucks you know bachelor groups out in georgia you know you're kind of targeting those, those big feed areas and transition areas where now it kind of separated in alabama you know it's totally different you know i don't think the the bucks to doe ratio is that high uh so it's a little bit harder to even find those deer and then also you know a lot of deer on that local management area that you know you and me hunt seem to disappear and i think i found out where they're at right now so uh, that, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. the biggest key yeah yeah i mean it and my early season was like it, it consisted of me hunting spots like you were talking about earlier that I didn't really want to hunt. Like in one of the our YouTube videos, I was like, I don't want to hunt this spot because I'm 40 yards from one road and 50 yards from another road. And I'm going to look like an idiot if someone drives by because they're going to be able to see me. But this is where the deer are. And that's when I saw I missed that buck that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I missed him in that exact spot. And... um yeah, I don't know. You're probably right. I I started out early season. I was having, you know, a lot of good encounters, what I would consider success, you know, as successful as I could be without actually tagging something. And uh, I got comfortable with it and never really adapted to it that much. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's cost me a lot of valuable time. And um, I think another issue I had, to be honest with you, is I was very complacent with what has been going on these last few weeks because I haven't been doing good these last few weeks at all. I haven't been seeing a lot of good activity. I haven't been on good bucks. I've hardly even been on does. And um, I don't know. You can try and justify it like, 
oh, well, I'm just uh, crossing spots off the map, seeing where the deer aren't at. But the problem is that I'm hunting the same kinds of spots. So if I'm if I'm hunting like a hardwood bottom that runs up into some pines or something, and and you know I don't know South Alabama, and then I'm not I'm not seeing crap there, and then I go do it on another property in South Alabama, and then I go do it on a property in North Alabama, and every time I hunt a spot like this, I'm not seeing anything. I can justify it to myself like, oh, I'm just crossing spots off the map, but in reality, I'm just hunting the same unproductive area over and over and over again and not making any progress at all with my season. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, and actually I was going to say two things. Uh, two, I, I, I feel there's two things you said that make me kind of cringe, which is something I've changed this year. Is two things. Getting complacent with the, with the fact that you're trying to find places to cross off with deer or not. To me, yeah, to that- me. To that's me, a that's a wrong way to look at it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I, see, I'm going in to go to kill deer, not to find where the deer are not at. So, so having the mindset, I'm going in to see if there's deer here. If there's no deer, I'm crossing off the map. There should be no reason to even think that. If if you look at it on the map and it's something that it's all about patterns. I mean, no matter where deer are at, deer or deer, they're going to do deer things, especially with hunting pressure. If something's not working on one area, a lot of times it's going to be the same thing across the board. That's like up here. Like You're not going to catch me in a hardwood finger up here. There's no way because I don't think you're going to find a lot of daylight movement, at least with not many deer. Um, that's where you know getting some of these thicker, these thicker areas is, is kind of more key for me. So that, that's number one is not having the mindset of, Going in, and if I don't find deer across off the map, move to something different. Because that's what I did the last few years, and I was great at finding where deer were not at, <laughs> which is yeah. not good, not good. And then also the whole aspect of, like you said, being complacent with not seeing deer. That I've looked, at, I, I've came into this season and having the idea that you know it, it's not all about the kill, guys. And you hear a lot of people say it's not all about the kill, but by God, I think was uh, what's Raglan, uh, Raglan Outdoors. What's his name again? Roger Raglan. He he says, you know, it's okay. It's not all about the kill, but by God, we're going out there to kill a deer. You know, that's why we are hunting, and that's that's my yeah. mindset too. You know, I'm going out there to kill a deer, to harvest a deer. Okay, I, I'm not going out there. It's fun to sit in the woods, and that, that's very true. I, I love that. I absolutely love that. But I'm going to have success, and it to me, it's fun to have success also while you're enjoying the outdoors. Okay, so. Have the mindset I'm going to somewhere to have success more so just go somewhere to see deer. It's two different mindsets because the last few years hunting public land, I'm like I'm going to go to this place to go see deer instead of going. I'm going to this place to go kill a deer, and I have the confidence I'm going in there to kill a deer even if I've never been yeah. in there before. And that's really what I've changed. That I think you know you need to change that for the last half of the season. I think you'll have a lot more success with that mindset. Yeah, and I think another fatal flaw of that mindset of like, hey, I'm going to cross this spot off of the map, is that I think you kind of alluded to this a minute ago, like you're focusing on the wrong aspect of hunting, where when I'm when I'm going through these areas and I'm like crossing this off the map, crossing this off the map, crossing that off, crossing it off, crossing it off, I'm focusing on like what makes that spot suck, like what is missing, and I don't know, that's hard to do. It's hard to identify what you're missing when you don't know what needs to be there in all reality. And when you find the deer, uh, I feel like with that mindset, it's probably harder to wrap your head around why the deer are in that area. Because, you know, over the last couple weeks, I have found deer, but rather than think about, you know, 
what specific thing might be drawing them to that area. I've thought more about, I don't know, things like hunting pressure, stuff that might push them into the area, blah, 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 rather than the actual traits of the area itself, which I don't know if this makes any sense at all, what I'm trying to say, but um, like you said with your, your pines, you know, they were eating on this one kind of plant. They were in very thick cover. Uh, just like general things like that. That's not stuff that I was noticing before because I was too focused on like, okay, well, where is this guy hunting? Where is that guy hunting? Where are the oak trees? Where are this and that? Is this blah, blah, blah? I don't know. I, I just feel like I was missing a lot of crucial details that had I noticed them would have made a big difference. Well, I, I think you're you're just focusing, and I think a lot of guys do this because I've been guilty of it too. You're focusing on all the wrong things. You're focusing on why am I not seeing any deer? But then you're, but then you don't know what the what are the deer doing and where to find the deer. You know, I've go to a spot. You know, it's open hardwoods. You know, why am I not seeing the deer? You're guessing on why you're not finding the deer. Whether instead of going to a spot and exactly and, and, and having the confidence, I'm going in here because I know or I believe I know that these reasons. You know, I'm going to find the deer. You know, I got thick habitat. You know, I'm looking at. You know, thick, nasty terrain. If someone tells me it's too thick to hunt, that's where I'm going. A great example for the spot up here that where I saw that big deer had somebody that I know and trust that's hunted this place for a long time, and he even told me it's too thick. Like there, you know, there's no reason to hunt that, and that's the reason I went in there. Um, you know, same thing like back home. You know, coming in with a mindset of, and like my brothers are a great example. My brothers are very green to public land hunt. They've been doing it for a couple of years, but very off and on, not taking it very serious. And they go out there, they think they find stuff on the map, and they don't have success. Then they come to me, and I tell them where to go. And I've never been there before. I just tell them, hey, this this is what I would go hunt. Sit here with this wind, this this spot, and just see what happens. And they go and they see deer. And they're like, they, then they start trusting me on what I'm looking for. And really, it's it's just one of those things, guys. It, you cannot teach confidence. You, you just can't teach confidence. You have to have confidence in what you're doing and have, it's all about personal experience. And it's kind of like with you, Andrew. I mean, you cannot teach confidence to somebody on what to do because you can't necessarily fake it till you make it with this because you fake yeah. it, you fake it till you make it and you don't kill anything. I and mean, that's, that's just, what, that's just <laughs> yeah. what happens. So, yeah. so you just have to go out there and really have to look at totally different, do completely different from what you're looking at right now to be able to go out there and try to find success. Again, if you've been doing the same thing for the last couple of years, which I say we're both probably guilty of doing that on this property because we kind of thought we found pockets of deer and turns out these pockets of deer kind of shifted on us. And mm, Yeah, definitely. And again, you know, getting stuck in our old ways, thinking that this is how it should be done. The deer should be here. Why aren't the deer here? Instead of doing that, let's go out and find the deer and actually go kill the deer. And I, exactly. that, that's, that's just the biggest difference, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and just to reiterate it, because it's such a big point, you know, like like you said, when you fi- when you're finding the deer, you're seeing why they're there rather than guessing at why they're not there, which is a lot more accurate, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's easy to get, um, I don't know, get caught up in a lot of the the nuances of deer hunting and scouting deer, which are all useful. I'm not by any means saying like hunting pre- like scouting hunting pressure is useless because that's how I got on all those bucks in the early season. But, um, I feel like, uh, maybe trying to focus on too many aspects of scouting and hunting, uh, might hurt you when at some point you just got to dumb it down and be like, where are the deer at? And all that other crap can come later, you know? 
Yeah, and that's one thing I told you, and, uh, you know, we talked about this earlier when I was over at your house is, you know, I, I think one thing that we've done wrong is focus mostly on topo maps. Um, not, mm-hmm. not saying topo maps are wrong, guy. not saying again, not saying topo maps are wrong. You know, the, you know, hunting beasts, that's, you know, that's kind of like the hunting beast styles, you know, focus on topo maps, but they're, they're a great tool. They're a great tool, well, the, but not something to entirely rely on, on ex- public land. Well, I mean, not even just public land. The thing is topo maps are great. The problem is a lot of other people look at them, but the thing is they're not necessarily always a hundred percent accurate. And no matter what it looks like on the topo map, most of the time you put your boots on the ground, it looks a little bit different, okay? Mm-hmm. T- to me, finding more of the actual habitat type, because you know a lot of guys post like they post a picture of a topo map, like, oh, where should I go sit? Well, dude, I don't know what the timber looks like. I don't know if this saddle is in a wide open field or if it's down in a creek, like on the on the edge of a, right above a creek bottom. Like, what what does this look like? Where an actual aerial photo of what you're trying to hunt to me tells a lot more of what the terrain really looks like from the ground level and can give you a better idea of where you need to go in to be able to find these deer. Cause again, a topo map is great and all, but you know, the problem is you look at a topo map, you're like, Oh, this ridge looks good. Then you open it up on aerial maps and it's, there's a road right there or something like that, which mm-hmm. again, again, not saying not to use topo maps, but don't, I would not put all your time into it. And that's one thing I've changed. Uh, you know, topo maps are great. Been doing that for, you know, three or four years now helped. It helped me, to look at publicly in a different way, but I think it's also hindered us a little bit because we're like, oh, I'm going to go hunt this saddle, and oh, I want to go hunt this, and then you get tied up on finding these little features, these little saddles, these little benches and stuff. You go hunt it, you might have success, you might not, but then you look at it like, oh, there's nothing on here that looks good, instead of going out there and actually trying to find that pattern with habitat type where these deer are, you know, holding to and be able to kind of map that out across the train, Okay. So again, like yeah. you were talking about finding those pines, where on this piece of property are this age group of pines that were, you know, select cut five to six years ago, what looks like that on this whole property, find where that's at and then go in and try to find these more small nuances where there may be little terrain features and see what maps out. That's what I'm going to start focusing on that. I definitely think a lot of other people could take away from this and kind of look at that, you know, find the train the habitat type that, that you're finding the deer in, okay, once you find the deer, and they're trying to map that out across, you know, your property, whether it's private or public, and what matches up, and that's where you need to go try to hunt. Yeah. I think, yeah, man, you hit the nail right on the freaking head with that one. And another thing, that the big downfall to me of, uh, you know, topographic features is I don't think that either one of us have had, like, re- resounding success on, like, a big defined topographical feature like a big saddle i don't think either one of us has gone in on a big saddle on public land and had just crazy success it's always like the the more subtle things and the reason being is if you see like a big mac daddy of a saddle on top of a ridge between two bedding areas so is you know 10 other guys who hunt that area you know i mean that's not that's not a difficult thing to find especially in today's age where you know, everybody has a topo map at their fingertips. Everybody uses them. Map scouting is a big thing. There's tons and tons and tons of articles and videos about how to do it. So, I mean, it's not like it's not like a big secret anymore. And it's just sitting right there in front of you to see. And, uh, like, your successes come from areas where if I was map scouting that, I would have never, I mean, I might have glanced at the area you were at. In fact, I think I have glanced at it before. 
but nothing in my mind was like, yeah, I should go hunt that. It was always like, meh, it looks all right. Yeah, and you went in there and had awesome success. Y'all saw a bunch of deer, found a bunch of buck sign, and I suspect that next month, you know, there's a very good chance that you or one of your brothers might tag a buck in there. Oh, yeah, I mean, 100%. And, again, that's the thing, guys. If you can find the right habitat for where these deer are at, and then once you find the habitat, then you can start mapping out, you know, terrain features. Because we were sitting over a small bench and a saddle, but that's not what we were targeting first. We were first finding that habitat type and then going in there and trying to find certain areas that would maybe, again, pinch down some of these deer, might funnel some of these deer, might make for good bedding, and then sit those locations. And that's where you're going to have more success. Uh, Again, if you're just sitting over... Topo features, I, I think it's going to hinder you just a, just a little bit, at least on public land. And I'll say this. I think now looking at this, it, some people might disagree with me. I think it's easier, but once you get a hang of it, it's easier to read topo maps than it is to read and understand habitat types on aerial photos. Yes, I totally agree. So, it, like, you know, you and me have noticed that, and that's one thing I thought I've been thinking about all day long is, you know, topo maps, once you find out, you know, what how to be able to read ridges, draws, creeks, drainages, saddles, benches, stuff like that, it's easy. You just, you know, find those features on the map. It's very easy to look at. But looking at a topo map and figuring out whether or not you're looking at, you know, a five-year-old cutover or an overgrown... No, you mean a satellite image, not a topo map. Oh, satellite image. Yeah, I'm sorry. Satellite image, aerial photo. You know, whether or not you're looking like at a five-year-old cutover, whether it's an overgrown field, whether the timber you're looking at is mature, or whether it's a bunch of saplings. Uh, and, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a lot of people think, oh, I could be able to tell that. But when it's a winter, winter image, you'd be surprised on when you think you see something that's, you know, this looks like mature timber, mature hardwoods. You get in there, and everything's 10 to 12 feet tall, and it's a bunch of saplings, okay? Yeah. Let's, let's uh, real quick, let's uh, kind of, I'm going to give my kind of, idea of how to tell the difference between that kind of thing and then i want you to give yours so mm-hmm. with pines if you if you are looking at a pine forest it's wintertime photos so you know they're pines because it's all green and it's just like a mat of green like totally green and this goes for tennessee and kentucky and missouri and all those too where there's a lot of uh, a lot of cedars if it's just like a mat of green and you can't really make out individual canopies it's going to be younger stuff. It's either going to be younger stuff or unthinned stuff that is, you know, very thick canopied and wide open underneath, which is not something you necessarily want to be hunting in. If you're looking at something where, you know, these select cut pines, for instance, where you can actually see canopies, you can see the canopied out tree, or you can see um, specifically maybe in a, in a fall photo where you can see into the trees, uh, while there's still leaves on, that's a big deal because then you know a lot of sunlight's getting to the uh, forest floor, which is going to encourage a lot of undergrowth. So those pines, for instance, that you were hunting, uh, in those in those wintertime photos, you can actually see into them a little bit. Uh, and you can also see into them on the summertime photos, which means sunlight's getting to the forest floor, which encourages growth of you know all the underbrush, which I haven't been in there. But, you know, central Alabama thin pine forest, it's probably going to be sweet gum. You know, you got like hardwood encroachment, which is usually mostly sweet gum, along with some other stuff. And you'll have, you know, honeysuckle, cerise lespedeza, and, you know, all kinds of other plants, a lot of invasive plants growing up in that kind of stuff. So being able to read a map like that and see what's probably going to be there is a, is a huge help. Uh 
you know, the area that you were looking at, you have, you know, hardwood fingers running through it. And those hardwood fingers, you can see on the wintertime photo, you can see a big canopied out oak tree. But then everything around it looks like kind of just gray, like conglomerate looking stuff, like that draw that Thomas was hunting next to, for instance. Mm-hmm. You could you could see several canopies in there, but it wasn't like canopy, 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 like right on top of each other. It was one here and there. And when you see that, you know, you know, these trees are, you know, 20 to 30 yards apart. You know that there's sunlight getting in between those trees, hitting the bottom of that draw. So the bottom of that draw and the surrounding woods around it are going to be thicker because there's a lot more sunlight getting into there. And that was like a big part of uh, y'all's success was those thicker areas, especially Thomas hunting over that thick draw seeing as many does as he saw and seeing the age class of does that he saw because i'll also note y'all weren't too terribly far off a road yeah exactly and that's another thing guys you know everyone gets tied up about getting super far off the road by god y'all y'all can have that i can kill mature deer within three four five hundred yards of the road very easily a lot of times a lot closer than that uh you know, there I, I have been to spots where, you know, getting a mile, mile and a half, it's like the spot where I had that big deer, that, that was about a mile in. Um, but, the, but the thing is, you know, kind of going back to what you're talking about, you know, looking at aerial photos to what we're trying to find and be able to kind of tell a difference. Now, one thing that I've noticed is you have two different, you have two different stages, I believe, in, in slut cut pines. Talking about that right now. You have select cut pines which are probably a year to two years old after they've been cut and you can see each individual pine tree and there's a there's you know a mass around it where you can see down to the forest floor okay it's very defined you can see it from aerial map you know you know very high up you don't have to be zoomed in very far to be able to see that okay what we're looking at is the the canopies it's not nearly that open um to the to the ground floor if you look at it the canopies are starting to mesh back together just because of how big the trees are growing, how tall they're getting. But you can still see pockets down into them, you know, around, you know, every tree, every other tree. You can kind of see little pockets down into it. And that tells me that's probably been cut five to seven years ago. The, the forest floor is growing back up, and those canopies on those pine trees are growing outward. They're not growing straight up. They're growing outward with the limbs, okay? And that's what we're kind of finding. There's still sunlight hitting the ground, quite a bit of sunlight, which is allowing everything to grow, you know, so fast and so tall and so thick, and allowing a lot of that green vegetation that these deer are feeding on, especially wherever that plant is that we were finding all these deer are feeding on. But that's what I'm kind of looking for. Uh, also, like you said, you know, the difference between looking at something and being able to tell what privet hedge looks like on a map is huge. Okay, be able to tell. Oh, big time, big yeah, time. Because that can screw you over. You see, you you see. Especially on a wintertime photo, you see a lot of this green stuff. Like, oh man, like it's got to be like water oaks or something. Like, what, what is all that? They get in there, it's just privet hedge, which is fine. I mean, I've killed, I killed a deer to the, uh, this year in a privet hedge thicket where I couldn't see past thirty yards. But th- it's not something that I necessarily would go into without a better game plan, especially if you're trying to bow hunt, because it's extremely difficult doing that unless it's rainy, it's wet, where you can still hunt. Um, also, that what's that tree? The orange. Um, Osage orange. Orses, or whatever. Orse, <laughs> o- Osage orange, also o- called like a hedge apple. Okay, I'm gonna call um, it. I'm gonna call it hedge apple. That's that's more my uh, my lingo. But anyways, that that stuff looks very defined on on aerial map. It, it, it looks. You think you're looking at hardwoods. You think you're looking at mature trees. A little mix of green in it with a little bit of gray. But the the problem is those tree those bushes, trees, hedges, whatever might be 10, 12, 15, 20 feet tall. 
but they're not allowing you anywhere to be able to get up in the tree, which is fine. If you're ground hunting, that's okay, but it's still very dense, thick cover, okay? You know, one thing also I kind of look for is a mix of hardwoods and pines, or hardwoods and cedars. You know, where I hunt up here in Tennessee, there's not a whole bunch of pines, unfortunately, and I love hunting in pines. But, you know, where you get a mixture of cedars to hardwoods and where they kind of intermingle is a spot where you can find a lot of different habitat types that can really hold deer that I've noticed. Uh, you know, if you see a big, a big block of cedars, a lot of times, and they're pretty much all touching, looks like a big you know block of cedars, there's nothing underneath those cedars. They're not bedding underneath there unless it's, you know, probably snowing, you know, like a foot or two. Just try to get outside the snow. Other than that, there's nothing for them to eat under there. There's no cover. It's wide open. Most of the time it's going to be moss up underneath there because of the moisture and everything. That's not good habitat for deer. That's not what you're going to be looking for. You're going to be looking for, again, your thicker vegetation, whether you're in a place with a lot of pines, looking for the older age class select cut, or, you know, some of the newer select cuts fine as well. You just kind of have to get around a lot of the blowdowns and everything else in there to find those deer. But again, to be honest, I find a lot more hunting pressure in those newer select cuts because guys can climb up in a tree 30 feet with a climber and they can see for 150, 200 yards. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a place you climb up 35 feet up in a climber and you're seeing 50 to 60 yards, maybe 70 yards max. Uh, and, and that's what I'm kind of finding these deer in. Yeah. And that's what Jeff Homan talked about too when we interviewed him. He's hunting areas, which uh, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, the buck he shot last week was in an area exactly like that where – he can't see more than 80 yards. If he can see more than 80 yards, he's not hunting it. And he's hunting the select cut pines above the hardwood bottoms, which down here we got a much better acorn crop. And, you know, mo like lower Alabama, I say, got probably a better acorn crop than central Alabama. And uh, so Jeff is hunting these planted pine forests, you know, that have been thinned nice and thick up underneath above these hardwood bottoms. He says that the deer are probably bedding up in the transitions or somewhere, you know, uphill from the hardwoods. And they're making their way down through these planted pines into the hardwoods to eat. And that is, that's exactly where he killed that nice buck last week. It was in a spot exactly like that where uh, I believe he said a lot of times there's like a little trail that cuts alongside the uh, hardwood bottom, like a uh, parallel to it where the deer can work that trail and kind of either watch or smell the bottom before they go into it. And that's exactly what we found in the spots that me and Thomas were hunting. There was trails paralleling because we were, there was a couple of hardwood, you know, drainages next to us, but we weren't hunting that we were hunting the thicker timber, you know, ponds up above it. And you, there were trails paralleling the, the drainages where they could either scent check and then drop down or, or you know whatever and it also you know you had trails that dropped straight into the hardwood uh you know drainages but again the thing is you know when it's wide open i mean you can sit down there as drainages and i could see you know 150 yards you know just because all the leaves are off the canopies i mean it's just easy to see the deer are not going to be comfortable down in that crap they're going to be more comfortable up in that thicker higher a little higher elevation especially when you're talking rolling hills and stuff like that not necessarily in the flats but rolling hills they're going to feel more comfortable a little higher up going to have more kind of you know some of those more steady winds maybe a little swirling winds and some of those little steeper draws and that's where i think they're going to stage up a lot more before they're going down low um especially during the rut you know especially those bucks i mean they're you know you might catch a couple of young deer kind of doing something stupid running through some of that stuff but a lot of those bigger deer you know they're staging up high kind of running these ridges and, and staying in this thicker coverage, again, talking kind of more pines right now, 
before they're kind of dropping down to any of that kind of stuff, kind of like where you were finding a lot of those scrapes. You know, a lot of those scrapes you were finding, those big community scrapes or those bigger scrapes, were in some of those hardwood drainages that were kind of open. And again, those deer are probably staging up a little higher, whether they're in the cutovers or in some of those ponds or whatever, before they drop down to check those scrapes throughout the evening. And again, that's one thing I think a lot of guys get tied up on because I've been guilty of it too. I've, I can see both ways on this. And it's one of those things you're going to have to change or you're probably not going to have a lot of success, especially hunting publicly and doing it. Yeah. Yeah, so in, in our ramblings here for the last half hour or so, we've kind of already covered the whole mid-season scouting thing where at this point in the season, food sources have changed, hunting pressure has changed, deer behavior has changed, everything is different from the early season, and I got burned, you didn't. And we kind of covered mid-season scouting as in what we're looking for is in habitat types, what we're looking for is in deer sign, and just general stuff like that. So uh, we're pretty much about at time here. So let's close it out with what are you targeting in Alabama going forward? Uh, because you're going to be down here quite a bit over the next, I don't know, month or so as our rut kicks in uh, in one of our areas. And uh, as well as in other parts of the state, but uh, what are what are some things that you're going to be really going after in Alabama going forward? Number one, definitely the older age class uh, select cut pines. Again, older. When I mean older age class, that's a weird, stupid term for me to say that. But just more mature select cuts. Okay, you know, again, between that five to seven years, you know, it's getting choked out. It's getting pretty thick. Uh, again, if you're walking in, if you're on the ground, you cannot, if you can see past 10 to 15 yards, it's not thick enough. Personally, that's what I'm thinking because I was hunting more open areas like that and wasn't having success. And I quickly changed that to finding places where you can see 10 to 15 yards on the ground. Once you get up in a tree, you know, get up, I get up in the saddle about 20, 22 feet. I can see 30, 40 yards through that crap. That's number one. I'm going to be targeting from that. What I'm going to be targeting is terrain features in that habitat type that would funnel deer. You know, if you have a very, very steep draw coming up on the side of a ridge like that, the head of that draw is going to be a very good spot to check out, okay? That's number one. Also, if you can find these little subtle benches off the side of these ridges that make for a great staging staging area before they drop down to a big hardwood bottom, that's another great place to check out. That's another thing I'm going to be focusing on. Um, And again, that's pretty much all my game plan is going to be, is just focusing on that thicker cover Again, I don't care about seeing 100 yards with my rifle. I mean, to be honest, I might be hunting, because most of these gun hunts I'll be coming down on, I might just be hunting with the pistol, uh, just because how close everything is. Plus, I want to be able to kill a buck with my pistol really bad. Um, that's pretty much it. Now, now Tennessee is going to be a little bit different. Still going to be hunting very thick cover, but kind of thinking a little bit more outside the box. You know, guys that are gun hunting up here throughout the season or you know more prone to be hunting off the ground or trying to get more mobile with a firearm my game plan is to try to get in even thicker nastier cover where i'm going to be struggling probably to find trees to get in and again might only be 10 15 feet at the highest off the ground but again i'm going to be finding more daylight activity in this post rut time frame for middle tennessee that's that's what i'm going to be looking for right now again trying to look at some food sources try to find some big large doe groups that some of these bucks are going to be checking for some maybe some late estrus does maybe some doe fawns possibly coming in uh yearling does coming in as well and just kind of focus on that for right now now with your mindset for the next you know week or two really going until uh, december you know what's your game plan for both south alabama and then also central alabama 
So South Alabama, we're way the heck out from the rut. So that's really not even on my mind right now. We're still on like a bed to food kind of thing uh, in most of you know South Alabama where I hunt, oh LA. So in those areas, I'm pretty much going to be focusing on kind of kind of what you were talking about. Um, you know, these thicker areas might not be pines, some of them. Some of them are probably going to be more like marshy kind of stuff or a, like savanna type stuff where you got, I wouldn't say open ground, but, you know, you got like taller grasses, you got like marsh grass or, or, or whatever, just general stuff that grows in wetlands. Uh, usually in some of these areas, there's not a lot of good trees to get in like you talked about, so they're going to be harder to hunt. So... I don't know. I'm just going to bounce around and go to, like you said, these most high, high, um, opportunity or what am I trying to say here? Like a high chance areas where if I go in there, I'm probably going to see a deer and I don't know. I'm just going to keep doing that until I find them, which I'm not going to have a whole bunch of hunts down here. So I'm probably going to get super, super aggressive throughout the rest of this week because over the next month, I'm going to be hitting central Alabama hard because that's where the rut's going to be. So throughout you know this week that the podcast drops, I'm going to be hunting extremely close to what I suspect is bedding. I'm going to be hunting thick cover. I'm going to be hunting weird spots that I might not necessarily want to hunt, kind of going back to what I was seeing earlier in the year. Like, I know the deer are here. Even though it's between two roads that are 100 yards apart, I still have to hunt it. So I'm going to be focusing on that kind of stuff. When I go to central Alabama for the rut, uh, it's going to be kind of more of the same. It's going to be targeting thick cover where deer are calm, where I know that there's a lot of does hanging out, and then locating travel corridors within those areas. So, going to uh, definitely avoid, you know, your gas lines, your your big wide open hardwood bottoms, you know, like these huge drainages of uh, the river bottoms. I'm going to kind of avoid those, and I'm just going to focus on. Uh, yeah, again, just, just thick cover. I mean, I'm not seeing deer in the open areas, so the thick cover is where I'm going to go. Because yeah. if I, if, if I sit here and I just wait to see a deer in the open stuff, I'm not going to kill anything because that's what I've been doing all year, you know, playing it safe. And some people might say like, oh, if you, if you go into that thick cover, you're going to blow them out. Well, if I blow them out, I'll just go to the next spot, you know? I have thousands and thousands and thousands of acres at my disposal with public land. So that's kind of like the luxury that I enjoy is I can go to spot to spot to spot and not necessarily like burn something out really hard. Exactly. Now I'll I'll say definitely, uh, again, you're going in with the mindset. You're not going in to see deer. You're going in to to kill a deer. Again, guys, it's not all all about the kill, but you know, you got to go in with the confidence that you're, you're finding the habitat where these deer are going to be located. You're going in to kill the deer. Uh, I mean, if, if you want to go see deer, I mean, you go to Oak Mountain State Park. If you live in central Alabama, there's a hundred freaking deer on the golf course. If you're just trying to see some, trying to go. In yeah, the go sh- to Cades Cove in Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> find you find you a booner that you can feed, you know, out the side of your truck. But no, we're, we're trying to run an arrow through a deer, trying to run a a you know a bullet through a deer. You know, that that is our game plan for right now. Again, you know, whatever makes you happy, whether that's a a year and a half year old buck or a five year old buck or freaking. 
yearling doe, which by God, I've been guilty of that. Actually, a fawn, uh, pocket deer, and <laughs> and then a four and a half year old doe. Whatever, whatever, whatever you're looking for, just make it happen. Again, have the confidence to go in there, find the terrain type, find the habitat, and go in and make it happen. Again, you can't teach confidence, but you got to go in there and have success to be able to build your confidence to find those deer. Yeah, and I'll reiterate. Uh, for the South Alabama, one of the spots I'm going, you know, earlier in the podcast, I mentioned, you know, my mock scrapes and community scrapes. The The area that I mentioned from last season where I, I got like, oh gosh, probably five or six different bucks on camera and hardly ever a nighttime picture. I'm going to that area um, for these upcoming hunts this week. I'm going to get very aggressive with it uh, just because one... I'm not going to be hunting the area a whole bunch for the next month. So I'll give it one or two super aggressive sits. And two, this is the time last year that I was getting like a ton of daytime pictures on a scrape, which these deer will rut uh, around January 20th into February. So we're way out from the rut, but they still use these scrapes to communicate. So I probably won't be hunting over that scrape, but I'm going to be hunting some kind of pinch points and little draws around there um where hopefully you know they'll be traveling to uh, because we had a pretty good acorn crop down here and i'm basically setting up like we talked about earlier i'm setting up between them and the acorns but i'm setting up very tight to bedding i'm not in the middle by any means i'm going to be set up you know definitely probably you know if if the middle would be like 50 percent between between bedding and food i'm going to be set up like 70 percent towards the bedding if that makes sense, I'm gonna I'm gonna be very aggressive because that worked for me early season, and then I quit doing it like an idiot. So, and I'll also say that, um, pretty much any legal deer is gonna get it. Uh, I, I'm you know I like to hunt for big bugs. I hold out for big bugs. I pass deer. I passed deer earlier this year, but when it comes down to it. I'm not going to go without deer meat just because it didn't have big enough antlers. So, you know, if a legal buck comes by, if he's a little forky, he's going to get shot. If a little doe comes by, she's getting shot. Big doe, I don't care. If it's a legal deer, I'm going to shoot it because uh, I'm almost out of deer meat. And uh, really, I just want deer meat, man. That's kind of the most important part of it for me, which I don't know. People like to argue about that, but... Bottom line is I want to shoot four deer this year because four deer is typically what I eat between seasons, you know? So I'm going to do my best to reach that goal. I don't necessarily care. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to only shoot one deer because I saw like, you know, three two and a half year olds and I was like, oh, they're not big enough to shoot, which if that's how you roll, that's awesome. But for me personally, if it's a if it's a legal buck, two and a half years old or whatever, even one and a half year old, and I don't have you know a bunch of does stacked up in the freezer, I'm going to take that opportunity and shoot it. Yeah, and again, guys, it, it just comes down to whatever makes you happy. You know, again, I, I got no issue taking a smaller deer. Uh, this is right now. I'm definitely not hurting for deer meat with four deer in the freezer, uh, which is you know which is a great opportunity to have because now I can be more selective on what what I'm doing. But again, you know, if, if you want to go out there and just have success on public land, you know, if you can kill a, a one and a half year old deer on public land, especially with your bow, I mean, that's, that's awesome. I mean, definitely, you know, do whatever is within your capabilities for that area, especially if you're new to it. But also, again, you know, if you need the deer meat, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. That's why it's called public land. You know, as long as as long as you harvest it in a legal way, man, have fun with it. Have fun and, uh, yeah. and just, you know, mm-hmm. keep using public land. That's what public land's for. 
Um, also, again, guys, just make sure you go out there, have success with your confidence. Okay, you know, go out there. And, and again, don't don't go out there checking spots off where the deer aren't. Go where the deer are. Again, that sounds cliche, and, you know, it's one of those things. It takes a little bit of time to figure it out. But, you know, go have some success on public land. Put some time into it. It's a fun way to hunt if you don't already hunt public land. And I know we have a lot of listeners that do, and they're probably going to kill me for saying this. But, you know, it's one of those places, guys, that you can go out, you can – you know, play it a little aggressive. If you want to do that, you can play it a little safe. Just whatever makes you feel comfortable and grow as a hunter. And I enjoy it. My family enjoys it. I know my brothers enjoy it. And just to go out there and again, just with your hunting license and, you know, depending on what state you're hunting, you know, there's different regulations on it. Just to go out there and have, you know, hundreds of thousands of acres you can hunt is just phenomenal. And, you know, me and Andrew love it. And we talk about it all the time. That's kind of like, that's our passion. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, and we'll, we will end with this. I will just say, hunt for you, nobody else. I don't hunt for Jacob. He doesn't hunt for me. I don't hunt for people on social media. I don't hunt for our listeners. I don't hunt for anybody except myself. So if I'm sitting there and some two-and-a-half-year-old eight-point walks by me and I get super pumped up and I want to shoot him, I'm going to shoot him and I'll never apologize for it. And that should go for everybody else out there because we're sitting in the heart of deer season right now. And I'm seeing a whole bunch of people being jerks to each other about, you know, what deer they shoot. So, I mean, that's all I got to say to end this is, uh, you're out there, like you said, hunt with confidence and hunt for yourself. Do what makes you happy and keep doing what keeps you getting out in the woods. You got anything else, Jacob? No, I was gonna say that's that's perfect. Again, I'm excited to see what the uh, second half of deer season turns out for us. I think we're gonna have a lot of success in Alabama. Just gotta get you out of your little rut, ch- let you check out some different places, some different tactics, looking at some different habitat types, and then uh, hopefully maybe I can tag out in Tennessee and just focus solely on Alabama. That, that's that's the game plan. So we'll see what can happen this next week or two. I'm excited. Yes, sir. All right, everyone, go shoot a big giant buck this week and send us a picture of it. Thanks for listening. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who will wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies so you guys don't miss it it's june 28th through the 30th i'm telling you if you listen to this podcast this is an event you need to be at now we'll see you guys at the mobile hunters expo june 28th through the 30th in dalton georgia